This Wednesday, we start our last, our last series of midweek for the school year. Uh, we are going to be in this series for four weeks. Uh, we only have five more Wednesdays left. That's crazy. Uh, I am serious. So uh, four weeks, we're going to be in this series called The Good Life. Because everybody's asking the question, and whether you are like actively or audibly asking the question, everybody's asking this question, what is the good life? What does it mean to live the good life? Or you're not even asking, you just have an idea of this is the good life. You see somebody and you're like, oh, I envy them. I just, uh. And you hashtag goals on their picture or whatever because you just think they live the good life. And that brings up in me what... What does the Bible say is the good life? Because believe it or not, the Bible actually actually applies to today. It's not just some old book that was for back then. It actually applies to today because it came from God. And it tells us this is what the good life is. And so we're going to look at this book, Ecclesiastes. And you're like, we don't spend very much time in here, but it's got a lot of things to say. And in, in fact, in my opinion, there, this is one of the most applicable books applicable books to your life. Uh, and so we're going to look at what is the good life. And so the question that we're going to ask this week is, is the good life found in pursuing pleasure? Is the good life found in pursuing pleasure? And really what I mean by pleasure is don't, don't just think, right? Because when we hear pleasure, we immediately think, oh, that's just sexual stuff. No, it's not. It is that, but it's, it's all kinds of things. Really what I'm saying is, is the good life found in satisfying every desire that you might have? Is the good life found in saying, I get what I want, when I want, how I want? Is that the good life? Because here's the deal. We were wired for satisfaction. You were wired to be satisfied in something. The problem is when we run to all kinds of other things for satisfaction that are never meant to satisfy you. And when I say things like that, it reminds me of uh, when I was a kid in the 90s. I know that none of you were alive except for like four of you. If you're a senior in here, when were you born? 90 what? 98 or 99? Holy moly. <laughs> we're getting there. We're getting older, people. I never thought I'd be the old guy in the room, you know? Like, I'm always the guy in the room that's like, wow, you're old and I'm not. But so here's the deal. There are these commercials in the 90s that Lay's, the Lay's company, like the people that make potato chips, they made these commercials that you're going to hear. You're going to see one of them on the screen here in just a second. And you're going to think, wow, is that not an HD? I don't love it. Uh, it's not an HD because it's from the 90s. Um, but just take a look at it and we'll talk about it on the back end. Where's Messier? Mr. Messier, please report to Game Mr. Messier! Mr. Messier! How about an autograph? Sorry, I got a plane to catch. Hey, kid. How about one of those chips? Chips? One? <laughs> Lay's Classic. Always fresh. Bet you can't eat just one. And my other pen pal, Danny and Flint one. <laughs> my third cousin, twice removed. 
<laughs> so, welcome to 90s television, everyone. You're like, wow, glad I wasn't alive for that. So the slogan for Lay's Potato Chips is, is what? Bet you can't eat just one. Because, it, in the smallest of ways, right? That, this is not what it's trying to communicate, but what it, what it gives me this picture of is, when we run to sources for satisfaction that are never meant to satisfy us, it just keeps us wanting more. And we keep going back, and it's never enough. And it's that picture of, I can't just have one. I need more, I need more, I need more. Because... Because just one isn't satisfying enough. I need two. And not two is not satisfying enough. I need three and more and more and more. And we keep running to these things for satisfaction. And it never fills us up. So we keep going for more. And we're finding out this isn't meant to satisfy us. And we're just left empty. And really what happens is when we run to places that aren't meant to satisfy us, it just keeps us longer than we're willing to give time for. And it costs us more than we're willing to give. It always costs you more than you're willing to give. And leaves you hurt on the back end. So let's see, let's see if the pursuit of what I want, when I want, really is the good life. Ecclesiastes 2, I'll read through verse 11, 1 through 11. Here we go. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure, enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad and of pleasure. What use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart will guide me with wisdom. My heart still guiding me with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses, planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also heard for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the children of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil that I had expended in doing it. And behold, it was vanity and striving after wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. All right. So this is the question, is the good life found in doing what I want, when I want, how I want? Whatever it is that you want to ask right there. So here's the deal. This is, who's writing this? We need to ask that question before we jump in. Ecclesiastes is written by Solomon. Here's why I think that. Uh, chapter 1, verse 1 says this. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. So the son of David is Solomon. That's right. So I believe that Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes, right? So who is Solomon? He is a king. He, has, he was a king. So that's big enough as it is, right? Kings are a big deal. That matters. Powerful, right? We get all the picture that comes with king. But he's not just any king. He is a, an extremely wealthy king. And we'll see about what that looks like here in just a few moments through the verses of chapter 2. But he's not just a king. He's an extremely wealthy king. I mean, more money. Like, imagine the, the richest person that you know. And now multiply how rich they are times about 10. That's Solomon, right? It's, it's foolish how much money he has. But he's not just a king who's wealthy. He's a king who's wealthy who happens to be the wisest human to ever live. 
So not, not only is he a king, which is pretty cool. Not only is he a rich king, which is even cooler. He's now a rich king who is the wisest human on the planet. This guy's got a lot going for him. Right. So as we as we listen to his words about his life experience, because this is the picture. This isn't like teenage Solomon or like middle aged Solomon. This is like like old Solomon looking back on his life, like rocking in his royal chair kind of deal. Just thinking about what was life like. And don't think it's just some goon in the ancient Near East who doesn't really know how life or he hasn't really experienced life. No, he's experienced every dream that you have ever had to live. And then and then some. He's a king, he's wealthy, and he's the wisest human to ever live. He's lived a life that's beyond your dreams. So he knows what, what he's talking about, right? He knows what he's talking about. So what does he say? What are the places that he goes to to find meaning? What are the places that he goes to for pleasure to find meaning, for satisfaction to find meaning? Here's what he says in verse 1. I said in my heart, Come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. This is what he says to himself. You know what? He, 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 Solomon says, you know what, self? Here's what we're going to do. I am never going to say no to myself from here on out. Right? That's what he says down in verse, verse 10. And whatever my eyes desired, I didn't keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure on my toil. He said, I, anything that I see that I want, I'm going to get it. Anything that I want to do, I'm going to do it. Anything that I feel that I want to get done, I'm going to go ahead and get that done. I never said no to myself. He says, this is the experiment where we're going to run. But what are the places that he goes to? Verse 3. I searched my heart, how to cheer my body with wine. The first place that he runs to find some kind of satisfaction is drunkenness. This is the first place. Drunkenness. And get this picture, right? He's not like homeless guy drunk, right? It's not like the guy who has a paper bag. Like he's super wealthy and can get the best wine in all of the land, like that kind of deal. And he goes, you know what? Let me see if meaning the life is found in just getting wasted on alcohol and being outside of my mind. And what he finds is, Verse 11, right? Let's look at verse 11. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, it was vanity and striving after the wind and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. You know what he resolved? All of that was a waste. It was vanity, meaning it was meaningless. It was like striving after the wind. You can't catch it. It's just going to keep going and you're not going to catch up. It's a waste. It's not going to give you what you're looking for. It doesn't satisfy. And here's the reality. If you've crossed into that world, if you're the person in here, you said, you know what? Like I have entertained in, with myself with alcohol because I think like uh, maybe that'll satisfy. Maybe that'll cover up some hurt that I have. Maybe that'll fill a hole that I have in me that I don't really know what to do with. So I'll just run to alcohol and I'll, I'll drink this and try to forget. But here's the deal. Here's why it doesn't work. Because Lord willing, you wake up the next day and what happens? You just wake up with a headache and a mound of regret. Because it didn't give you what you were looking for. Ask anybody who's been there. That's following Jesus. They will tell you. It doesn't give you what you think it's going to give you. It doesn't fix your pain. 
it doesn't satisfy you, Solomon got it right. Okay, so maybe your deal is not drunkenness. You're not running to drunkenness to be satisfied. Let's keep going. Verse 4. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted them in all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. So now he turns from drunkenness to be satisfied. And now he turns to achievement to be satisfied. Look at all these things that I've accomplished. He says, he says, I I built houses. Plural. Houses. None of you in your life, some of you will, the majority of you, will never build a house ever. You'll just buy one, Lord willing, somebody else will build it and you'll move in. But none of you are like swinging hammers like, ah, we built this thing from the ground up. None of you are going to do that. Solomon says he, probably by extension of his servants, built houses multiple. Right, so he's got one in Jerusalem and one in Egypt. Like, these aren't literal, but like, it's that kind of idea. Multiple houses. That's a big deal. And that's enough as it is, right? But it's more than that. I built houses. I planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted them all kinds of fruit trees. And you're like, parks? Really? Parks? Right? So you've got you to imagine how big of a deal this is. We're not talking 2017, right? We're talking ancient Near East. He was building parks in the ancient Near East like beautiful vineyards in the ancient Near East. Nobody had money for that. And when it says parks, don't think like, don't think like the parks in Friendswood or the parks in League City, right? That's not what we're talking about. We're talking like, like the word, the word that's used here is the word that gets translated in English to paradise. It's that kind of idea. So imagine a place that you would think of as like paradise, whether it's a beach or whatever. Imagine that. That's what we're talking about here. It's that nice. It's that swanky. It's just an expression of, look how much I have done with all that I have. That's Solomon. And he says, achievement. I pursued it. I want it to be enough. Let me see if it's enough to satisfy me. And you know what he resolves? The same thing that's in verse 11. It was vanity. It's chasing the wind. Now for you, the achievement is not, well, Kate, I'm feeling pretty good about myself today. I built a park. It's like, okay. No, you didn't. Like, none of you do that. But achievement for you may be something like this. Man, I feel good. I feel satisfied when I get first place. I feel satisfied if I get straight A's. I feel satisfied if I get a perfect score. I feel satisfied if I get into NHS. I feel satisfied. I will only feel satisfied. I will only be filled up if I get on the varsity team, if I make it in the club, if I'm leader of this organization. That's the only way I'm going to be satisfied. Because if I don't get A's, and if I don't get the the top grade, and if I don't get first place, oh, there's going to be a problem. I'm not going to be filled up because I'm running to those things to give me value and to give me satisfaction. And I can tell you, I can tell you who you are because when it goes upside down, your life is wrecked. When you walk home with a B, you're like, oh my God, my life's over. And I'm like, I would have screamed in celebration with the B, right? But you have, you have made grades. This, 
this source of satisfaction that isn't giving you what you think. And it's going to leave you empty. Or maybe for some of you, it's athletic achievement or social achievement. I don't know. But I'm telling you, and Solomon's telling you, it's not going to be enough. It's not. Because here's why it doesn't work. If achievement is the thing that you're going to to get satisfied, there's always going to be somewhere else to go. There's always going to be another mountain to climb. There's always going to be somewhere else that you've got to achieve, that you've got to make it to the top. You've never arrived. So how unsatisfying is that life? There is no contentment. You're constantly chasing something that you can't catch. That's why Solomon says it's like striving after the wind. You're never going to catch it. It's never going to be enough. And some of you chase achievement like it will fill you up, and it won't. It won't. Now, is it bad to get good grades or to be in NHS or to be on varsity or whatever? No. But they're bad sources of satisfaction. They're bad sources of satisfaction. The next place he goes, look at verse 7. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I had also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasures of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women. And so Solomon looks to find satisfaction in all of his possessions. That if I just have what I want, it will give me what I need. Possessions are looking to, he's looking to possessions for satisfaction. And so for him, what does he say that he has? I bought male and female slaves. I purchased them with my own money because I have an enormous amount of it. And I've had them so long that slaves were born in my house. That's how long I've had those slaves. That's expensive. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. Right? So none of you care. Like, who cares if you have a lot of livestock? That's not even cool. But he says, more than anybody who had been before me in Jerusalem. That's a long time. And he's, he is standing or sitting and writing this and saying, nobody that's ever existed has had as many animals that have I had. You're like, okay, why is that a big deal? Because it's just this expression to everyone who might hear that look at Solomon. He is magnificent. Nobody is like that guy. I want to be him. What would it be like to be Solomon? He has all this stuff. I gathered for myself silver and gold and treasure of kings and provinces. So not only does he have money, but he's got other people's money. Right? He's like, I have a lot of money, and I'm going to go over to this kingdom, I'm going to kill you, and then I'm going to take all your money, and I'm going to tell everybody that I have all your money. So not only is he a rich guy, he's a pretty arrogant rich guy at this point. And I got singers, both men and women. Right? So none of you are like, no point in my life I've ever dreamed of having singers in my house so that I could be rich. Right? That was a big deal. That was a big deal. It was just, and it's all just this picture of look at what I have. Nobody else can have this. Only I can have this because only I have enough money to have all this stuff. And so for us, it's none of those things, right? It's not, none of you are like, the good life would be having an, an enormous amount of goats, Right? None of you are pursuing that for satisfaction. But some of you, some of you are chasing, some of you are chasing possessions. 
for satisfaction. Like if I could just have that car, if I could just have those clothes, if I could just go to that place, if I could just go on those vacations, if I could just have this much money, oh, then it would, then I would have arrived. But ask anybody, ask anybody who's got great possessions. You know what they'll tell you? It's not quite enough. Just need, I just need a little bit more money. Just need, just need a little bit nicer car. It's never enough. They're never satisfied. You, you see, you look, just look at any celebrity. None of them are like living their lives well. They're some of the richest people on the planet. And some of the most jacked up humans on the planet. Because it's not enough. It's not enough. It's not going to satisfy you. And the last place that Solomon turns, look at the last, we'll read verse 8 all the way through it. I gathered for myself silver, gold, and treasures of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women. And here we go. And many concubines, the delight of the children of man. The last place that Solomon turns to find satisfaction is he turns to sex. Turns to sex. Right? So here's, this, is the, this is the picture. He said, yeah, I had many concubines. I'm not, trying to be, I'm not trying to be graphic. But it was such that Solomon's bed was never empty. You got me? And he never said no to himself. And he pursued sexual gratification to see if this would satisfy me. Would this give me meaning? And for some of you, that's, that's what you're chasing. Some of you guys, I mean, the, and you'll hear me. This is not just the act of sex, right? It's, it's, it's more than that. It's any kind of, kind of breaking of God's design for sexuality. That's pornography. That's same-sex attraction, whatever. And you're looking to all that stuff to satisfy you and to fill you up and to make you feel like you matter. At the end of the day, you're finding, why is this not enough? Why is this not working like I thought? For some of you guys, you run to that stuff because it makes you feel like a man. Or some of you run to that stuff because it's the only place that you feel like you can control something for once. For some of you girls, you run to, to, to sexual stuff with a guy because it's the only place that you feel loved or beautiful. And I'm telling you, and you know this. It's not going to give you what you're looking for. It's not. Because on the backside, you're left with an enormous amount of guilt and an enormous amount of regret and thinking, why did I do that? Why did I go there? Why did I look at that again? I don't want that. And I, you know why it doesn't satisfy Because when we, when we step outside of God's design for sexuality, it just causes more complication and more pain. That's it. That's all that it does. When we step outside of God's design for sexuality, it just, compos- it just provides more complication and more pain. And he, listen to me. If you're in here and you've, you've crossed those lines, 
or you're, you're just hung up. Like you don't know how to get out of this struggle with pornography or you're in a relationship. You're like, I just keep saying yes, or we just keep going there or whatever. I'm not here to just throw guilt on you. That's not what I'm after. I'm here to look you in the face and say, it's not going to satisfy. I'm here to look you in the face and say, there's a better way. There's something that will satisfy every desire that you have. So don't hear guilt. Here, there's a better way and there's grace in that way. Okay, well then what's that way? What are we talking about? Okay, then this is the question. Where should we go for this satisfaction? Where should we go? This is not meant to be churchy. This is just what it is. Jesus is the place. Jesus is the place for us to go to find satisfaction. There's a story in John chapter 4. This story, this event in John chapter 4. Where Jesus rolls up to this well. And he's thirsty and he's like, hey, disciples, go get some food. I'm hungry. We're hungry. We got to eat. It's hot. It's the middle of the day. And this, this woman shows up, which is a big deal because most of the women had already come early in the morning because it's hot. She comes by herself to get some water from the well. And she's a Samaritan woman. And Jesus is a Jew. And Jesus engages her in conversation, which is a big enough deal as it is. And he talks to her and he's like, hey, can you give me some water? She's like, excuse me, are you talking to me? Uh, he said, and, and Jesus responds, he's like, look, if you knew who was talking to you, you'd ask me for a drink. She's like, I'm confused. You don't even have a bucket to get some water. He's like, look, I'm not really talking about water. Let's look at, let's look at what it says in uh, John chapter four, 13. It's going to be on the screen. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water This water out of this well is going to be thirsty again. We'll be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus is saying to this woman, look, you're running to all kinds of places. You've had five husbands, girl. And the guy that you're shacking up with now, not your husband. And I'm telling you, that's not going to satisfy you. You've drank from all kinds of wells. But if you would come and drink from me, You would never be thirsty again. I would satisfy you like nobody else can. Jesus is the one that satisfies us. Psalm 16, Psalm 16, 11 says it like this. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures. There are pleasures forevermore. There is no area of desire that you have that God doesn't fill. There's no area of need or desire that you have that God doesn't fill. And yet, this is the problem. This is where the rub is for us. We don't actually believe that Jesus can meet those needs. We think, what does Jesus have to do with my my sexual life or my financial needs or my physical needs or my emotional needs? Jesus is only getting me into heaven, Cade. No, Jesus is Lord of your entire life. Jesus satisfies every need you have. How do you know that? Because Jesus created you. And if he created you, guess what he knows that you have? A need to be satisfied. He put it in you. So why would he not be the one that satisfies us? How else do I know? Not only because he created us. Because he met your deepest need. 
He met your deepest need. In becoming the sacrifice in your place for your sin. Because your deepest need was the fact that you were separated forever from God because of your sin. Yet Jesus came and lived perfectly in your place and died the death that you were supposed to die. But he did it for you and got up from the dead so that you, by, by faith in him, by faith in him and that he died and got up from the dead, would have a way to be with God, the way to be with God. Jesus made the way to satisfy your deepest need. Why would that guy not have the best for everything else you need? If he died and got up from the dead, he will fulfill every desire you have beyond that. I'm telling you, Jesus is better than every other place that you're going to run. I'm telling you, Jesus is enough. He is enough. So let's stop drinking from, from other wells that don't satisfy.